Number one, how others treat you should have no bearing on how you treat them. You are capable of getting someone's back, whether or not they have yours, because getting their back is what's best for the team. Welcome to the Leading Edge Podcast, your source of insightful and inspirational conversations to help you and your program achieve more. Here with us today, we have Coach Lance Loya. Lance is a former college basketball coach and now a best-selling author, blogger, podcaster, and professional speaker. Coach, I just I, I look at your path and I think of myself as a coach and other coaches that I know, and I kind of think of it as it feels like kind of this dream. And, and I say that knowing that you've worked really hard to get where you are, of course, but just being a coach, solidifying your thoughts and approach so much so that not only are you impacting your team uh, and the people that you are coaching, but other coaches and other leaders are looking at you and saying, "Interesting, what is he doing there?" And now where you're at, speaking, an author, you know, coaching and advising other leaders. I'm just curious, can you tell me a little bit about when you were back coaching? Was that part of the plan or how did that all take place? No, no, not at all. <laughs> In fact, I'll take you back and even a step before that, before I was a coach, I, like many coaches, I was a student athlete and I really had no desire or no interest in being a coach, but I happened to go to this conference and I saw a sign there for the FCA. I had no idea what FCA was or anything, but there was a sign up and it was a very famous quote now, and I believe it's from Billy Graham, that a coach will impact more people in a year than most people will in their lifetime. And I just found that premise appealing. That's what I want to do. I wanted to impact people. I wanted to help people. And as I coached, you know, you're always telling your athletes, the skills, these soft skills you're learning through your sports participation are going to serve you well in whatever career path you go into. Uh, and as a coach, now I took the skills that I learned and honed as a coach and I apply them to my current job. It's the same thing as what a student athlete does. When I stumbled across something, I thought it was a difference maker for coaches of interest to coaches. If you can get to the coaches, that's where you can make the impact. If you get to those coaches and ADs, those team leaders, you really can exponentially multiply the, the difference you make. So that is why I kind of went into this career path. Coach, on your website, you talk about how you had an epiphany that inspired you to spread the word about the importance of being a good teammate in all aspects of life. And I, and I really appreciated and enjoyed that. Would you mind taking us through uh, that moment and, and sharing a little bit more? Yeah, it almost did happen overnight or, you know, and I'll give you the abridged version of the story. I had a player win an award, uh, went and watched this player receive his award. And on a flight home, we had a rough flight and it scared me. And uh, I really thought about what if this plane goes down? And I started thinking about my own daughters and my family. And well, if this goes down, what would be that one last bit of advice that I would want to leave with them? And I started thinking about that player. You know, he wasn't the best player on our team, wasn't our leading scorer. He wasn't very fast, couldn't jump very high, but everybody on the team loved him. And he loved being around the team. The team, team, team was his identity. And I thought, there it is. That's the advice I need to give to my daughters. Just be a good teammate. Uh, well, I drew these very rudimentary drawings and my daughter was learning to read at the time, so I used her sight words. And I wrote out these very basic sentences of what I thought it meant to be a good teammate. They care, they share, and they listen. I printed it off our little inkjet printer and I set it on the kitchen table thinking all it would ever be was a bit of last uh, advice if something should ever happen to dear old dad. Well, as those things go, my wife read it, showed it to her friend, showed it to her and it became a book. And it was a children's book called Be a Good Teammate. So it really was overnight from the, me writing those to the next morning. It really changed my perspective on the, the coaching profession and, and youth sports in general. That, that, that's awesome. What, what did that feel like to, to 
have this thing come from in you and really want to just serve your your family and your daughters to then where it is now and uh you know sharing your system with countless leaders across the country it's funny because what would happen i you know i stumbled into a world that i didn't know existed you know i could get fast children's book festivals and things like that ever i go the same thing would happen there'd be an adult who'd come up to me and would say you know, you need to write an adult version of this book because we got some people at work here who don't know what it means to be a good teammate. And eventually that led to the adult nonfiction books. And now what I've discovered is this concept of being a good teammate, it is very empowering for someone who is marginalized or finds themselves in those compromising uh, psychological states. It provides them with a very attainable identity. And I think this concept of being a good teammate, it resonates with people who fall into that category. So for what's it feel like? It's very rewarding. And you feel that there is a genuine purpose in your life. I feel like I'm serving a higher calling. And I don't know how you explain a calling, but I do know that service leads to purpose and a reason to wake up every morning, something to look forward to. You know, that's a premise that leads to happiness. So I'm very happy right now. That's awesome. And grateful for you bringing that. I'm curious what you felt. It's kind of a counter. I don't know. One could think of it as a, a counter narrative to the NIL, the shoe deal, the did the most sports or the spotlight kind of individual. But so what is what has your experience been as you go out with this message and kind of maybe butt up against some of those more um, egotistical yeah, kind of yeah. things? I understand exactly what you're saying. And that's a, that's a common argument you, you hear. We're constantly in a state of self-promotion and, and you know, social media and the NIL and all those things feed into that. I don't know that I've ever met an unhappy good teammate. And on every really, truly happy people person I've ever met, they always fall in that category of good teammate. They care about something else and they're willing to share their gifts. So I really, I think it comes down to happiness and what I like to call peeling back the layers of why. So if I'm speaking like to a uh, youth detention center, I'll say, what is it? What would happiness be to you? What, what do you, what's, would be a good life? And they'll say, well, I want a big mansion. And I go, why? So, wow. So I can throw lots of parties. Why? So all my friends can come over. Why? Because I like hanging out with my friends. Why? And eventually come to a point and say, because it makes me happy. What they were really after was happiness. It wasn't all the, the, you know, the material things that came before that. They just wanted happiness. And we need to make sure we tell young people they're always trying to find themselves. And as adults, as mentors, as coaches, as athletic directors, one well, of the best gifts we can give anyone who is under our tutelage is the gift of telling them you're looking in the wrong place. And when you direct them to that, happy towards happiness, they realize there's any number of paths can get you there. So a lot of the self-promotion NIL stuff, yeah, it's them being a good teammate. They're just, we may not be defining the team the same way they are. And that NIL deal can be very, very influential to a family who is struggling with, uh, you know, poverty or any number of dysfunctions. That's a game changer. So how can you not fault someone for doing that? I mean, that's a, that's a really good intention on their part. Absolutely. If you were to go straight to this, the student um, athlete or participant, I mean, do you have any advice to that individual who may not be in a place of leadership yet on paper to start to bring people together? Yeah, I see it all the time. It's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> that's the most common source of toxicity on any underachieving team, isn't it? And, but what I say to that individual is twofold. Number one, how others treat you should have no bearing on how you treat them. If your allegiance, your loyalty, your commitment really is to your team, 
then you are capable of getting someone's back, whether or not they have yours, because getting their back is what's best for the team. And the other thing is, people often need to be reminded that just because you're having a bad day never excuses you to be a bad teammate. And if you embrace those two philosophies, well, then you have purpose and you're setting yourself up to really serve something bigger than yourself. That becomes the culture changer. And I know culture is such a buzzword now in what we do. But that really is a culture changer. When you have one person doing that and one person, that's the symbol that changes, that creates the, you know, the reverberations through the team. That's the inspiration that changes culture. I love it. Well, I mean, yeah, culture, I mean, like you say, it's a buzzword. We hear many definitions. To me, it's just a series of choices of multiple individuals. And you, the more they head towards a stated place, the, I mean, that's culture. That question was about the individual. And I, and I love what you said, just kind of two simple things to think about. I kind of think that everybody involved is a leader in some way. And, 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 and that's goes to your first point of, I can make the choice for me and I don't, and I can help the person next to me and all of a sudden guess who's a leader I am. But so from a traditional leadership role, let's put it that way. Where do you start with those folks who are saying, yeah, you know, we, we really do. We do want to be more bonded. We do want to take on this, this teammate mantra. Well, it's not so much strategizing you know, plays and X's and O's, but I strategize making connections with the audience. So I watch a lot of stand-up comics and I read and study stand-up comics because they are masters at connecting with their audience. So what a master comedian does, they get somebody in the audience who's laughing, now you feed them and you keep, you, mm. you increase your engagement with that group. And the more the laughter they have, the more into it they become, the more virality starts going through the audience. It's emotional contagion. So as a coach, what you have, I like to refer to as the teammate curve. And Brian, mm. if you think of like a typical bell curve, at one far end of the spectrum, you have your good teammates. This is your top 10%. They're all we, 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 all about the team. They are your volunteers. And at the other end of that spectrum is your bottom 10%. These are the voluntolds. And as a leader, what you don't want to do is empower that bottom 10%, those team busters. What you do want to do is encourage and empower that top 10%. And you do that by recognizing them, rewarding them, and expressing gratitude towards them. So what you do by that, this is how you create culture. By putting so much attention on that top 10%, you get others looking at them. And that middle 80%, they're the mercenaries. And they're going to do whatever told as long as there's some personal benefit to them. And a lot of times it's, well, what's in it for me? Well, you want to convert those mercenaries into volunteers. So when you put all your effort and you really emphasize that in your culture, you start winning people over that way. No, well, I love it. And we hear, we hear that. I think it's important to call out that you can easily in trying to kind of strengthen your weakest link, take the attention off of the things that are working, how much time and attention, you know, does it turn into individualized connection for that bottom 10%? Because I, I agree with you where let's show everyone what we want to be doing. And if there are examples in our ranks, then perfect. We're going to make sure that people know that, yes, this is what being a great teammate or goal state looks like. What do you think about then and, and you have your 80% who, who will, will kind of start to shuffle. Where do you go after you know that the, the plates are spinning at the top 10, everybody's mm -hmm. good? Or, or do you kind of just let them come in on their own? Like, where do you stand on, on that kind of uh, individualized kind of reaching folks on the team? Good, good analogy of the plate spinning because it is a balancing act. And there is sometimes you're going to have to have those individual one-on-one -on -one interactions. And those personal connections are always 
they always have a potential to pay dividends for any leader and you got to make sure you're building those relationships i mean in educational circles they often talk about rigor and uh, relationships well those bottom 10 percent those are the rigorous relationships so the biggest uh, mistakes that leaders make they look at that bell curve that i described earlier and you think well if i just chop off that bottom 10 percent my team will automatically get better and I'll eliminate all my problems. It doesn't work that way because all that happens is the next malcontent just slides into that spot if you have a weak culture. So until you create and really feed that, the idea of your culture of being a, a team first culture, you're always going to have those problems. You want more on the volunteer side <laughs> than on the volunteer side. So what happens is the culture is so strong that those people at the bottom 10%, they either keep their mouth shut because they don't want repercussions or they realize this is not for me because it's unpleasant for me. They take them, they remove themselves from it mm -hmm. or they get on board and they get converted over and mm -hmm. eventually your slope becomes a flattened curve. Totally. Well, you mentioned something in there about the way that you said you really stress, don't lose track of what's working. But in terms of reaching folks who you're trying to get on board, you mentioned something about showing them why it's worth it to them. But uh, can you talk, I guess, a little bit, like, what does that conversation look like? We've heard some interesting things about, you know, kind of painting the picture of where we're going as a group, and then also showing people how they have autonomy and, and power within that group, and how our goals as a group and their goals personally can connect. What tools do you have for that kind of conversation? Or, or, or am I using words that you would use? Or how would you phrase that? You know, you want... When you have personal connections with people, here's two negotiating tips that I found very effective and I, I've taught leaders. First of all, always use the name. Uh, you start your, your initial interaction with uh, an apology and, and then you make an open-ended statement like, uh, oh, Brian, I'm so sorry, but you know, how can we do that? And then that open, they gotta they've gotta reply the answer. I think another thing is uh, you know, how you confront those toxic teammates and i like to tell people you know there's any number of techniques you can use i say you've got to use the sweet and sour technique you give them the sweet and then the sour and you leave it at that so mm -hmm. brian and you are one hard worker i mean you are the fastest player on our team but you got to talk stop you know gossiping about coach behind his back it's really tearing us apart it's dividing our team yeah totally and then you go silent and that awkward silence well, that puts them on the spot. They've got it. They've got to let it in. Now they may not like what you have to say, but they're going to leave the conversation knowing you respect them. You paid homage to them to their ego, but they're also going to leave the conversation knowing, all right, there is a problem here. That makes a ton of sense. You know, as we're talking to to leaders trying to change their kind of the course of their organization or, or, or improve them, you have you have something on the site kind of like saying who who would benefit and who should work with you. What does someone who works through your system or starts to really be intentional about forming um, teammate connections look like? Like, how do you define awesome after uh, an organization has really taken this to heart? I would say as a leader, I, everybody should invest in this concept of having good teammates on their team and inspiring and wanting people on their team to be in what I like to call the we gear. Mm -hmm. Here's the two biggest failures I see leaders making. Number one, they don't clearly define what it means to be a good teammate. So they tell people, yeah, be a good teammate. You're gonna be a team player. Uh, but they do not explicitly lay that out. Mm. And then the second failure is they tell people, well, we have to have a, uh, we're much better when we're a player led team rather than a coach led team. And that comes from holding each other accountable. 
but they give no <laughs> techniques, no strategies for holding each other accountable. What does success look like when when folks are prioritizing, you know, the we gear to use your your um, terminology? And you, you hit the nail on the head where it doesn't have to be sports. It, 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 success can look like anything in terms of the benchmarks and what that group is trying to do. But in terms of what the relationships and and I, at work, I always talk to my team about let's get great at the work of doing the work. So if we're this machine, we can put any input in and we'll be successful, you know, within yeah. our, our skill set. But that really is just saying like, do we have the relationships? Is our unit um, sound in how we relate and how we organize and then and then how we um, take action, right? And so, so you, you hit the nail on the head there. If your team is alive, then you're doing the right thing and you're seeing you know, the fruits of your labor come to fruition. And here's what alive means. These are, and I've studied good teammates and I've seen these same five recurring behaviors with them. And ALIVE is an acronym and it stands for active, loyal, invested, viral, and empathetic. So when you see people on your team making what I like to call good teammate moves, they're active, they're taking action. They see a problem, they don't blame, shame, or complain, they act on it. When you see them doing that, you know, you're onto something. Then loyal, it's the your allegiance to something bigger than yourself. Invested, uh, it's the depth of their commitment. You know, there's a difference between being interested and invested. When you're interested, you pay attention, you ask questions, you have a curiosity of how things are going, you're happy for other success. When you're invested, you see your teammates' failures as your failures, and you become as committed to helping them overcome those problems as you are your own problems. And then viral, it's the expression of your, uh, your positivity, your energy. It's sharing your enthusiasm and your passion for your team with others and allowing that to spread to others. And finally, empathetic, it's putting yourself in a position where you understand your teammates' problems and you understand what it's like to be your coach or your teammates. I, I appreciate you uh, breaking down the ALIVE acronym because uh, I saw that on the site and, and I wanted to dive in there. But are there parts of that where you see people kind of stumble more than, than others? And, and, what, and how do you kind of lead them through that? Yeah. Uh, that's base. That's the core structure of um, my most of my talks that I give. That alive acronym, those five behaviors, because they are the ones that impact the team the most. So, there's a quiz you can take on our website uh, that assesses those five behaviors. And this quiz is great for a coach or a team leader who you know you you got to have a difficult conversation with somebody on your team, but you don't really want to broach the subject because you're worried about the repercussions and the defensiveness, all those things will be triggered. So you go back and, the, and you, here's the reactions you get. They'll come back and the coach will see them and say, hey, uh, Brian, how'd you do in that quiz? Man, it said I was a bad teammate. <laughs> I only got a 60% on it. Really? Why do you think that is? Well, you know, it said I wasn't uh, you know, very invested. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you probably could put up some more shots and Brian will say, yeah, I, I guess I could do that. Right. I think I could work on that more. And then eventually they get to a point where they say, you know what, I am going to work more. I'm going to try and improve that. It's that motivation. That's a good tool for coaches, that quiz. But what I notice on a quiz, people score historically the lowest on that loyalty category. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. They don't really understand what it means to be loyal. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned in there, stay under loyal. It's stay away from clicks and honor your commitment you know, to the team. And I take that to mean the whole team. You kind of try to build these bridges. What do you do when, when a leader says, yeah, I see, I see these clicks forming and, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to grow more loyalty to the entire group? How do you help folks do that? Clicks form out of the most uh, sometimes innocent of premises. Uh, I got asked to speak to this uh, this 
event one time and it's for the foster grandparent program so it's a good program and i thought why does this group when the director called me up said well, why do you want uh, these are kind-hearted sweet elderly you know men and women why do you want me why do they need a good teammate message he said lance we got click problems what, what <laughs> happened was every time they went to a meeting every event they had the same people only ever wanted to set with their own group of friends and there was never any cross connection uh, cross play between these groups that fracture in your team and you're facilitating those clicks by not addressing that issue so you've got to find a way to you know cross pollinate those different groups when you pair up buddies pair a freshman with a senior and you know get them invested in each other's you know, those type of off-court bonding experiences are great, but you as a coach have to take responsibility for those clicks. Yeah, well, well, looking at, at your ALIVE acronym, it's such a great tool to look at and say, okay, am I addressing all these things with who we're going to be? And so I think it's such a huge tool to, to remind as you define that. A um, couple more minutes left, and I have two more questions. Jumping over to the to the WE gear, uh, just broadly, I love it because as I've already shared, we we talk about we before me. But how did how did that um, concept and um, approach uh, come out of you? Because it's it's it it hits right away. You get it, you know. And I just love how clear it is. There's nothing, you know, revolutionary about the concept of putting we before me. But it is a stickiness that we tend to remember, especially young people. All right, so here's very briefly the story. Uh, I was sitting on my couch watching the Olympics, and the United States had won a game. And one of the players was interviewed, and every time he answered, he never, ever talked about himself. It was always, well, we did this, and we got stops, and we, he's like in a very short 50-minute second to interview, he, we, like 12 times. And I commented to my wife at the time, wow, now there's a guy in the we gear, and, you know, and it made sense to me. So that's where the title kind of came from, and what happened was... I started interviewing people who I thought were good teammates and I started looking at players who were nominated as the you know teammates of the year and uh, I mean Kendrick Perkins who's now an ESPN announcer but at the time he had just won the NBA's uh, there was an article in Sports Illustrated about him the NBA's most influential teammate and I interviewed and I talked to you know Kendrick about it so I started looking at coaches of the year and I started looking at teachers of the year and employees of the month and eventually I got down to a point, I would go into Chick-fil-A. And you know, by the counter, they always have that plaque, their employee of the month. And I would observe that people and I'd watch how that, that Chick-fil-A employee interacted with customers, interacted with each other. And it was so moving because they're all doing the same thing. No matter what team they were on, it was those same five alive behaviors. And that's really how the, and I thought they're all in the Wii gear. Uh, and that's how it came to be. So, so good. Yes, absolutely. One thing that I thought was interesting, two-time recipient of the, the Schoenfeld Award for Sportsmanship, Character, and Ethics, which is uh, provided by the uh, College Basketball Officials Association. So, I mean, that's, you know, we all know that refs, refs get a good look at who uh, everybody really is out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, I mean, winning that award twice, uh, which I think is a big deal. And then kind of in the context of kind of where we're at in being good, good sportsmen and, and having character and, and um, you know, on the field of play. I read an article not long ago that we're in a society, we have the no largest number of youth participants in sports. And this year we have the lowest uh, percentage of 
people sign up to be sports officials. Very valuable component of the athletic experience and of that learning experience. So I was extremely humble. The sports official recognized me you know, for those, you know, those virtues and that. Uh, so it's wonderful. That's why I wanted to ask about it. Because again, I think, you know, in my best self always just tried to acknowledge the fact that the ref gets a you know, pretty bad shake. You're not going out every day. I'm going to go win this award. You're just being who you are. And that just so happens to be someone worthy of recognition. The, the, the follow-up on that is where are we at with sportsmanship? And, and I guess, how do we make sportsmanship more attractive to the parent, to the coach, to the, um, to the athlete to kind of help? Do you have any thoughts on that? I see sports officials, you know, regardless of what sport, they're still the true guardians of the game. They really are uh, coaches are finding themselves more and more compromising positions where to get athletes, there is a greater tendency to stop prioritizing the game. I mean, if you've got to bench a player for bad conduct to teach him a life lesson and it costs that player an NIL and costs you recruit and there's such a hot seat of the high turnover of coaches, you lose your job and you start, well, I don't know, maybe I just stomach and I eat that behavior. Officials don't have to do that. That is why we need officials, because they're the ones who can still hold athletes accountable to sportsmanship and to the ethics of the game. That, that's you. I, I appreciate you taking the extra time on that. I've refed before, and I've seen we we had problems in our league recently, and it was like, oh, I'll go ahead and go do it, and I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, but I think there's a way to make it. Make yeah, there, there's there's ground to be gained for sure, both in the referee being the guardian of the game, but also how do we all lean in and you know make sportsmanship and and make it more attractive and, and, a, and a, the cool thing to do, right? You know? Yeah, I think what, and I was starting to say it earlier, um, but I think as coaches, we've got to make sure that that sportsman is ingrained into the game as much as a role is. Um, last, you know, housekeeping, where, Lance, would, would you want people to go to learn more about you, about your books, your speaking, um, your perspective and training? So the, the main website is coachloya.com. I'm probably more active on Twitter than others. We post daily inspirational content on those. They're available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the normal outlets. So if you want a book, you'll find it. And uh, you know, if you're looking for a good team book read, Man, the Wii Gear is fantastic. It was written for that very specific purpose. A weekly newsletter, and you can sign up for that on our website as well. And if you sign up today, you get a free copy of uh, the book Teammate Tuesdays. So, awesome. That's thanks. great. I love it. That's so, so, so huge. Well, so you've been so gracious with your time and your work, and it's so appreciated. Yeah, I love meeting new people. I love connecting with others. and. I feel like Johnny Appleseed because I've seen the impact of this "be a good teammate" message can have on uh, you know on team cultures, but as the world as a whole. So I love opportunities to connect with people. That's it for another episode of the Leading Edge podcast. Till next time, head over to leadingedge.online where you'll find more content and conversations to help you build a more successful program. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sharp.